Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. He's been here. been there. Magic down the middle, just what I thought. A hook shot at 12. Good! He's been everywhere. Shot from there and a save and a rebound. Score! Yes! Kings win the cup! Sobel. That's one small step for man. Ted Sobel. One giant leap for man. The man, the myth, the legend. What the hell's going on out here? Now, one-on-one with Ted Sobel. Fasten your seatbelts. We're going down to the wire at Staples Center. Oh, Monster jam by DeAndre Jordan. Crawford for three. Bingo! (laughs) There's that Lawler's Law thing. It's the law. Hi, I'm Ralph Lawler. You're listening to Touching Greatness with Ted Sobel. Well, thanks so much, Ralph. And, of course, this podcast is all about you. What an unbelievable run. 40 years as the voice of radio and TV of the L.A. Clippers. And he's been with the organization for every year except for two since the Clippers moved to L.A. in 1984. Yeah, Jerry Gross for one year and Eddie Doucette for another. But ever since, it's been Ralph Lawler's show. Meanwhile, on this show today, I'm going to have some special guests for you so we can reminisce about what Ralph Lawler has accomplished throughout his career and what really he's meant to the NBA itself. While at Staples Center, I spoke with some guys who certainly know Ralph's game very well. How about former Clippers Ryan Hollins and Mark Jackson, who are now both broadcasters? Jim Barnett, a former San Diego Rocket, and of course a longtime broadcaster with the Golden State Warriors. I got a few minutes with Fox Sports NBA reporter and analyst Chris Broussard, who's covered the league for a quarter of a century. I'll bring back a couple of old clips from Mr. Lawler's longtime broadcast partners, Bill Walton and Mike Fratelli. And, of course, Brian Seaman, who just finished his 10th year as the radio voice of the Clippers. But let's first start with the man himself and right at the seat that he loved to be in, in the press box at Staples Center. Ralph Lawler, happy birthday, Easter Sunday. I walked into this building today, and the first thing I saw was the Ralph Lawler media entrance. Good good timing for that. What's it like for you? Was it a little different waking up this morning thinking, this could be my last home game. Not so much waking up, but on the drive down uh, from the marina, my wife and I both said, you know, if everything goes badly, this is our last, our last visit to Staples Center um, as a working Clipper announcer. That was a little bit eerie, but uh, I've been trying all season long not to think about last this, last that because that would diminish my chance to really enjoy the moment. And we're trying really hard to enjoy each and every moment. When it's over, we'll know it's over. We'll know that was the last one. Um, Until then, I just hope they can win tonight or win Wednesday or win both. Force a game six, force a game seven, and you get to a seventh game, who knows what might happen. It's sort of nice to be doing radio today, though, as well, because you can call it in a little different way. Well, I always enjoy doing radio. That's where my roots are. And... uh, I was thrilled when the Hollywood Walk of Fame decided to designate me for radio rather than for television because I still think of myself as a small-time radio guy from Peoria, Illinois. That's who I'll always be. So um, if this is my last game in this building, it is fitting. Uh, I'm doing it here, sitting in the same place that Chick Hearn sat and uh, watching this game, and uh, we'll try to give a word's-eye view, so to speak. 
I was thinking of Chick this morning, how much he would have loved to have been sitting next to you today and also just to shake your hand and say, hey, us Peoria guys did pretty good for ourselves. Well, it's pretty amazing. Uh, there was a point, Ted, where in this city, Chick was doing Lakers, I was doing Flippers, Tom Kelly was doing USC, Bob Starr was doing Angels and Rams games, uh, Bill King was doing Raiders games. We were all out of Peoria. It wasn't that many years ago, although it, maybe it does feel like it now, I was one of the few microphones down in the locker room on a regular basis in this place. And how about the transition to what the ownership has done for this team and, and where they're headed? Well, that's the one thing that makes me really find it difficult to not hang on to this job because uh, Steve Ballmer's ownership and vision and the people he has brought in, uh, which are every bit as important as he, but without he, it wouldn't have happened. Uh, from Lawrence Frank as team president to Michael Winger to Jerry West and uh, to Michael's two outstanding assistants and the whole staff has just grown and exploded. Um, this team has championship written all over it. Uh, I think there'll be multiple championship parades and as I've said, I hope they'll invite me back for a parade. Yeah, but how strange would it be to be watching it on TV and saying, you know what, maybe they could just bring me in for the championship series. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to take that away from whoever gets of lucky enough to get this job uh, uh, following me, but uh, I, I'm going to miss it each and every day. It's uh, a part of my bones right down to the deepest marrow of my bones. but. Uh, my wife and I are looking forward to the next chapter. Not yep. sure when it's going to be, but we're going to make sure it's interesting and exciting and challenging. Last thing, Ralph, was uh, we talked about this before. It's hard to replace the juices flowing for a job like this with whatever you're going to do from here. Is that one of the key things? Like, how do I replace that besides just being happy at home? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I talked to Rich Murata last summer. Rich worked for so many sure. years uh, here in the city. and. Uh, when he retired and went up to Reno, uh, he said, my biggest problem was uh, finding a sense of relevance. He said, I felt irrelevant. And that has kind of stuck with me. And, uh, and it has haunted me a little bit as this thing starts to wind down, thinking, okay, now there, there's the challenge. What am I going to do? And I've, I've tried not to focus on it, but it has been in the back of my mind. Thinking, how am I going to wind up feeling relevant, feeling like a... Uh, I can contribute something. My wife and I have some ideas, and uh, we will pursue those, but not until this is over. I can't think of Ralph Lawler not being relevant in whatever you do, <laughs> sir. It is great to see you. Enjoy every second of this ball game, and hey, maybe it'll keep going. You'll get a nice upset. Uh, that would be great, Ted. Thank you very much. It's always great to talk to Ralph, but how about the opportunity on his birthday and, again, potentially his final game. The Clippers did end up winning game five in Oakland and continuing on, but he did get one more in, which was just fantastic to watch. And you can see the emotions as Ralph wrapped up his career with the Clippers, and it was just incredible to watch. In the meantime, I'm bringing back a couple of comments that we got back on the old KFWB when we were the Clippers station. And and of course, I go way back with the clips since 1984 covering the team. But there was a Ralph Lawler day in Los Angeles a few years ago. And we were able to get comments from two of Ralph's all-time favorite broadcast partners, Bill Walton and Mike Fratello. And they let it all hang out for sure. First Big Bill, who was never, ever short on words. And certainly when he was talking about his buddy Ralph. I was wondering about 
all the incredible lessons of life while we sat there together through some of the worst basketball ever played. And I was just calling to try to clarify something because someone told me that today is Ralph Lawler Day. But I'm under the impression that every day is Ralph Lawler Day. And I just wanted to call and say thank you. I wanted to say congratulations. I wanted to say I miss you. But most importantly, I wanted to say that I love you, Ralph. Well, I think Ralph knows that uh, I, I have a special affection for Ralph. Uh, we are still very close friends uh, to this day. And it's, uh, the one thing I used to love, I loved hearing him say the word Los Angeles. He had a special way of saying it. He always like had me mesmerized the way he said Los Angeles. He had this great tone to it and uh, this pride in saying it. And there was always room uh, in the broadcast with Ralph to have fun with him. I could... Uh, jab at him, he could jab at me, and, and get it in, and then move back to the game right away. And uh, those were great days for me, being able to do the Clipper games back then. And, and what made it special was Ralph, because he had such a such a strong feeling, a sense of pride in the organization, the team. You know, he rooted for them every night. He wanted them to win, and when they lost, uh, it hurt him. Uh, and and you could feel that being his partner. And not too many broadcast teams ever had the fun that Ralph Lawler did with his partners, Mike Fratello and Bill Walton. Meanwhile, a couple of guys who played for the Clippers during the Ralph Lawler era were on hand at Staples Center when Ralph had his 81st birthday and getting ready for one of his final broadcasts of his career. Ex-Clippers Ryan Hollins and Mark Jackson each gave me a few minutes to talk about the storied Clippers broadcaster. With Ryan Hollins here at Staples Center and... uh, Boy, Ralph Lawler, his birthday, 81 years old today, and this could be his final game at home. You dealt with him for a long time. Man, I, I don't think the magnitude really hits now that you say that this could be his final game, but uh, Ralph has just meant so much, not just to the Clippers, but to Los Angeles. You know, I, I honestly grew up uh, watching, listening to Ralph. You know, his hey, his voice is, you know, comforting. He's just, he's, he's honestly a pillar in the community, the way he's handled himself and uh, really stood by this organization. You traveled with him uh, in your days with the Clippers. You ever had a chance to sit down with him and just talk hoops and, and any of his uh, career at all? You know, we haven't really had a one-on-one, but I would say, man, the privilege not just to play and have him call the games, but to have been able to work with him this year. He just has so much basketball knowledge. And uh, you can imagine how many changes, how many players, you know, that he's seen just come through the NBA. And uh, it, it, it's really unreal, man. And, and uh, just, it, I mean, seriously, that's a lot of knowledge. I mean, I, I got my 10 years worth of, of being in the league. And Ralph has, you know, what, however long he's, you know, so goes all the way back to San Diego, if I'm not yep. mistaken. So yep. there's just so much knowledge there, man. He means a lot to the game. You ever think about what this team's going to be like without him? Because it's sort of like Vin Scully not being with the Dodgers and Chick with the Lakers. Everybody keeps asking, uh, who's going to replace Ralph? Who's coming in? I say, honestly, I have I have no idea. And it, not only do I not have an idea, like you just said, it's really hard to see anybody else step into those shoes. Um, I know whoever will will be well qualified, but um, ultimately those shoes will never be filled. 
you know, we'll be honest. Whoever steps in and has that opportunity, I'm sure they'll do an amazing job, but there'll never be another Ralph Lawler. Many times I talk to you in different locker rooms, Lakers and Clippers, I say, one day that guy's going to be doing what I'm doing, and I'm not shocked. How's that transition gone for you to from playing to broadcasting? Man, it, it, it's really cool, man, it, and it's a lot of hard work. And, and you remember the days of our interviews, so uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, I started this back then. You know, and you, you are always instrumental in my career, giving me advice, helping me out, watching the way you guys work. And uh, I started taking an interest in the media then. So uh, to me, it's a privilege to actually have the opportunity now. And I, I see how much work <laughs> goes into it. It's different than being interviewed uh, <laughs> than to being uh, actually on the other side. So it's pretty cool. Different kind of preparation than just watching film from uh, a player standpoint, right? It is, and, and, and your job changes. Yeah. Uh, as a player, I don't want to have bulletin board material. Um, in whatever role you play uh, in the media, you have a job to deliver. You know, as an analyst, as a play-by-play -play guy, uh, as, a, as a studio host, you yeah. know, all yeah. jobs are different. So uh, just like anything, you have to work on your craft. What about uh, this team itself, the Clippers? How do you see them moving forward? They get rid of their top guy, and they still keep playing well as a team. And that's what they're about. They are a team. It's really unheard of uh, in basketball. Everybody takes this analytics road yep. where they go younger and younger and, you know, they play the, the numbers. And the Clippers have used their, you know, Lawrence Frank and, and Jerry and Doc, they, they've just used, I don't want to say common sense, but there's a basketball feel for what works and what doesn't work. And somehow they've been able to get younger, build young talent, which is the goal, and stay pretty old and teach those young guys how to play. So you've got productive young NBA players, which is a really a lost art. You know, these teams just blow it all the way up. And they're in a position where they could draft very well and go out and get a major free agent. So, I mean, honestly, this may be one of the biggest, from a front office, this may be the biggest summer that we've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. And just looking at it from across the hall, the Lakers are going through some crazy times right now. Like, who wants to play with LeBron? I mean, there's a lot of noise when you're, not because of him personally, but that's just the way it, it comes with the business. So the, the Clippers are in a spot to sign somebody. Yeah, well, it, well, it's a lot bigger than just LeBron. And for the Clippers, it's the yeah. entire organization that moves as one co big, cohesive unit. Uh, I, I think of San Antonio and the success that they've had. Why? As Pop speaks to RC, RC speaks to Pop, and the players are in tune with what Pop is doing. Everybody knows what they have going on there, so it's it's not a surprise, and you're really starting to see that synergy here with the Clippers, so uh, it, it's special to be a part of and special to watch. And while I got you real quick, uh, Ryan, how about the new coach at UCLA? What do you think about the, that hiring and how that fits? Exciting times, man. You know, um, obviously those can be a little frustrated from uh, kind of the coaching search and how it went, went about, but you got to move forward, man. And uh, there's nothing like being, there's nothing like UCLA, man. There's there's nothing like it. So uh, I, I believe the team's best days are, are ahead of them. And uh, I, I'm really excited to see what they do. Great to see you, man. My man, anytime. Mark, the league will be a little different when Ralph Lawler leaves, just like when Chick Hearn was done. And it's uh, sort of a, the changing of the guard. Well, you think about that, he's in rare air. You mentioned yeah. Chick Hearn. Those are two guys that are legends that have impacted the basketball community, not just in L.A., but all around in a special way. And they will forever be remembered, appreciated, and we're grateful for their service. What is about the guys who've been around a long time who 
can respect those kind of guys because they saw it all from the beginning? Not just seeing it all, but the thing that stands out to me when I think about those guys, consistency. You know, to do it that great for that long, um, I salute them. And <clears throat> playing for the Clippers and experiencing Ralph firsthand is a different level of appreciation for them. And uh, it's just special. Deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Since you did play for the Clippers when he was here, did you ever get a chance to sit down and just talk basketball with him? Well, there was times you, you always, you know, hang around guys like that and they're calling games and uh, you appreciate special moments and to have the privilege of having guys like that call the action is special. Um, probably wish I had done it more, but certainly a fan of the game and a fan of him calling games. Um, just respect, love, and appreciation for him. You just almost want to pick the brain and say, hey, what was it like when you're calling, like when Wilt was playing and that kind of stuff, right? You're right, but more importantly, you just want to say thank you Yeah, because of uh, the legend that he is and the impact he's had on the game. So what do you think of the playoffs so far, and uh, what are your expectations? Are, are the Warriors just going to turn it on when they have to, you think? Well, you're playing against a great team, and they certainly have responded. Yeah. Uh, but it's been a heck of a year for the Clippers. they got a lot to be proud of. Appreciate the time, Mark. Thank you. Well, I can't tell you how many times I had post-game dealings in locker rooms with both Mark Jackson and Ryan Hollins, and I appreciate them giving us a few minutes of their thoughts on Ralph Lawler. And I also ran into a guy who knows Ralph very well, going back to more days than both of us could imagine. A story I learned about just chatting with Jim Barnett, who played in the NBA for more than a decade, and then for many years has been one of the voices of the Golden State Warriors and what a run they've had together. And to give you a little perspective on just how long I've been around, I remember Jim Barnett as a player in the league back in San Diego before the Clippers were ever even a thought. Jim Barnett, it's great to have you on with us here and you go back to San Diego days with the Rockets before they had the Clippers. And before there was a Ralph Lawler down there, you had a gentleman by the name of Jerry Gross doing yep. your radio. I used to listen to your games from LA. First of all, what's it been like, uh, the transition? You know San Diego, and just having the Clippers from there to here and what they've done. Well, the whole uh, NBA's changed since uh, I came into the league in 66, and I was a Celtic, and then the expansion draft of the San Diego Rockets. Jerry Gross had been uh, a broadcaster back in St. Louis with the old St. Louis Hawks, which was my favorite team growing up, oh, okay. by the way. Um, but I spent three years in San Diego, and... Then I went uh, in a trade to Portland Trailblazers, but I knew Jerry very, very well. He lived in La Jolla, his lovely wife, Gretchen. Uh, it, was, it was a different league in those days, Ted, it really was. We were all close, we had parties together. Uh, I remember going to Jerry's house many times. Uh, our team was very, very close. But then, uh, you know, things went on and they didn't have a team for a long time. And then the Buffalo Braves, which was a new team in 1970, they were in Buffalo for seven years. They moved to San Diego and they became the San Diego Clippers. And a few years later, they're here in L.A. and the L.A. Clippers, and everything has changed. It's fantastic. But uh, uh, Ralph Lawler, whose birthday is today, we're yes. talking on uh, a young 81, a young 81, <laughs> on the 21st of April. Um, Ralph actually was my high school radio announcer in Riverside, California. I went to Ramona High School, 
and when I was a 16-year-old kid, I made the varsity team, and some of our games used to be on radio, and Ralph Lawler was our play-by-play -play voice wow. on ra at radio in Riverside, California, when I was 16 years old. That's since that, That's quite a while, you know, since I'm going to be 75 this summer. Incredible, incredible. Well, you were a damn good ball player, too. I remember that, and uh, used to, to run the court from the back court there a little bit, and uh, what, what do you remember from those days in San Diego? Because they had a tough time drawing, didn't they? Yes, we did. I, I, we probably averaged three to 4,000 yeah. people a game. Uh, same thing in Portland when I went there, or maybe 4,000. It was the only game in town, but they still, it, it, was, it was the stage of the NBA where it just, you know, it wasn't big yet and the money wasn't there. That's why my first year in the year, I made $11,000 as a player. And then I made 14 my first year in San Diego. and was happy to get it, by the way. But um, I've made great friends. I've made great friends through all those years playing on seven different teams, but I've kept my great friends from the San Diego days, and a lot of them still live in San Diego. A few have died along the way, by the way, uh, as we get older and people pass on. But uh, I'm still a part of the NBA because I'm with the Warriors now, and I've been with them for 35 years, and I'm just very, very grateful. We've got a championship-type club. Uh, it's, uh, it's big business now. But you still go out there and you play five on five and you have to move the ball and you have to put the ball in the basket. And uh, I had a pretty good NBA career over 11 years, made a lot of great friends, and I'm just grateful I'm still involved. It makes your job a lot easier when you watch a team like this every night, doesn't it? It makes it a lot easier. Uh, I think you could be a really lousy broadcaster and no one cares because the team is so good they think you're good. So you can fool them that way. That's another reason I'd want to bring up Ralph Lawler, but since we're talking about him today, how about all the years he had to deal with, with one of the worst teams in the history of sports? Yeah, and now in Los Angeles, with the Lakers having made a playoff appearance in six years, and the Clippers are coming up and surprising everybody in this first round, too, also winning game two up in uh, Oakland. Uh, and they got a great coach in Doc Rivers, and they seem like they have a very enthousi enthusiastic owner in Steve Ballmer, uh, very involved with them. And I think they're on the rise, they compete, and uh, so, you know, things go in cycles. It's not going to, I don't know when it will end with the Warriors. Uh, obviously, uh, they're still young enough sure. with, with uh, Stephen Curry being 31 now. Uh, he's got a few more years left, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with Kevin Durant. We don't worry about that. You just. But they've been to the finals four straight years, and you hope hope they're going again. Seems like you got a lot of good guys on the team, though, too. That just good guys, not just players and coaches. Oh no, no without question, it's a great organization, yeah. Ted. It's from top to bottom, from our ownership, yeah. general manager, uh, and Steve Steve Kerr is just unbelievable as a human being. Uh, these guys, I'm not sure they know how lucky they are to be able to be making this kind of money and then being under the direction of our organization the way they are and how they empower you and how they embrace you how they support you and have a guy like steve kerr in charge last thing on ralph lawler before we wrap this up as long as you've done it how about a guy doing play-by-play -play as long as he has and the endurance that it takes to do that into your 80s it's uh, i know this at age 74 right now it's very trying and you're tired and you can't it's, it's tough to keep pace because you're always moving around Traveling mostly? Uh, yeah, traveling is a little easier than it used to be That's 40 true. years ago, but it's still, as you get older, it seems like the traveling's harder. Yep. I, it's the, gone are the days where in San Diego we played five nights in a row, three different times that, oh, that year. Uh, we played 11 games in 13 days with two trips to the East Coast. With, I remember that distinctly. Wow. They don't do that now, but still, uh, it, it's people expect more of you. You're under scrutiny with, with social media. Everybody has all the analytics. They've got everything at hand. 
uh, you can hear anybody in any part of the world. We we, we had on our uh, television game this year, one game, we had around the world one million viewers. And we're just local telecast. Incredible. So, so it's, uh, you know, they expect a lot, and you've got to be ready, and, and you've got to be prepared. Jim Barnett, I appreciate the time, and I want to say it's great to talk to a San Diego Rocket. It's been a long time for me. <laughs> I started there when I was 23, and uh, it's always part of you, though, isn't it? Oh, it was fantastic, and it was a great start for me. And uh, I've always <laughs> loved San Diego, as I say, a lot of friends still down there. Thanks, Ted. Thank you, Jim. And I also bumped into longtime NBA reporter Chris Broussard, who's now working for Fox Sports. I thought he'd give us a nice perspective on what Ralph Lawler's career meant to him. Chris Broussard, how many years have you been covering the NBA now? It's been about 25. Okay. My first season was 1995. Wow. 95-96 season. That's yeah. great. So you know how long Clippers have been just a disaster, uh, right? A laughing stock. <laughs> exactly. It, it, the tables have turned, that's for sure. Ralph Lawler, 81 years old today. Could be his last home game yep. ever yep. as a Clippers announcer. Talk about the history of the NBA and what that guy means to it. Well, look, uh, having a guy like a Ralph Lawler as a broadcaster is invaluable because, as you said, he saw the NBA when it was on tape delay, when it was coming up in the you know Showtime and Boston Celtics era, and then through Jordan and, and up to today. So having someone with the perspective to know where the NBA was and where it's come now from a business standpoint, from a, a level, the way they play, from the way the game has changed, from the, you know, the, the types of players, from it going to a big man dominated game to now a perimeter oriented game. All of that, just on the NBA level, is invaluable. I mean, when you have a guy that knows all that stuff and it's in his mind yep. and can be called on recall like at that any moment, that's great because that just brings more that, that brings a better experience to the listener because this guy is bringing some things that a lot, most other guys that are much younger can't. And then you go to the Clippers, having the same perspective with the actual team as opposed to the league is also great because he knows where they were. He knows how bad things have been. He knows how when they've even had talented teams and for one reason or another it didn't work out. He knows, can compare a team that was more talented but didn't work as hard, didn't have the intangibles, whatever this case may be, to now where you have a team that's not quite as talented but they work hard, they like each other, they get along, they have the intangibles. Having a broadcaster who can bring all of that stuff to the table and do it with some charisma and some pizzazz, I think is just tremendous. That's why he's a great, he's one of the best listeners in the league, without a doubt. And we're only a several years away from really losing all of those guys, right, you know? Right, and right. it's going to be a whole new era, you know, the no kids question. coming up, they, they, there's no perspective to look back on, right? Right, right. I agree. And um, look, it's, it's, it's inevitable. I yep. mean, it is what it is. You can't control things like that, but you're going to miss. That's why, I, like, like you said, this could be the last home game. Yep. You have to treasure these moments that you still have them with you. It's kind of like like Vin Scully exactly. with baseball. Well, well, obviously, Chick Hearn, too, in this right, building. Right, right, I mean, right. It's never no been the same in the Lakers no, since he left. not at all. And it's not going to be the same without Ralph. It, it, things are looking up for the Clippers, which it, it, that also makes you feel like a little bit bad for Ralph because he's been through all those tough years. Some good ones, too, but through a lot of tough years. 
and now that things look like they're really coming together, he won't be here to experience it. But um, they're going to miss him. They're, they're going to miss him. No are doubt. you a little amazed by what the Clippers are doing right now? That they're even in the playoffs and playing as I mean, they are like an ultimate team, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I kept waiting for them to fall exactly. out. Exactly. All season, I was like, oh, they're off to a great start. It won't last. Then they trade their best they, player. Right. They trade Tobias. I didn't even think they wanted to make the playoffs at that point. Um, but they, this is one of Doc Rivers' best coaching jobs. I would say this year and his first year with the big three when they won the championship, um, I was actually – I had been critical of Doc when he had, you know, Lob City, and I didn't think they reached their potential. But he's been fantastic uh, ever since they changed the roster and uh, got rid of those superstars. He's been great. It was so tough voting. I'm a voter for the awards and coach of the year. I, I voted Budenholzer Coach of the Year, but just even getting the top three, and I, I went with Doc as third behind Mike Malone at two, but Nate McMillan and um, Kenny Atkinson in Brooklyn, uh, there were several other guys that, that did tremendous jobs, Terry Stotts. Yeah, it's not uh, usually this but deep I went with Doc. late in the year, right? Yeah, to I think went about with it. Doc yep. because I thought he did a fantastic job. So without trying to make it sound like sports talk here, who do you see as the better future in the next few years, the Lakers or the Clippers? Wow. I mean, so much of it obviously depends on who who each team is going to get in free agency. I definitely think the Clippers are going to, well, not, I won't say definitely, but I feel strongly that the Clippers are going to get Kawhi Leonard, which is great. He'll fit right in, not only his game, but his attitude, everything. And the comfort um, level of coming home, too. Yeah, right? it'll, be, right. it'll be a great fit. Now, if the Lakers get Anthony Davis, obviously they, things are looking up, but that's a big if. Yeah, that doesn't so look too good the, right yeah, now, Yeah, the way it? things look as far as what's likely, yeah. I would go with the Clippers, brighter future, which is bizarre. I was going right? to say, what and, and, universe are we in right, saying right. that, right? Especially <laughs> considering the Lakers just got LeBron James. So Exactly. But we'll see. How much does that help to have Mr. West around, though, right? Well, they need to be trying to get Mr. West to go across the hall. Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> it's great to see you, man. It's good to be on. That's Chris Broussard of Fox Sports. And, of course, this entire Touching Greatness podcast tribute to Ralph Lawler would not be complete without another voice of the Clippers. Brian Seaman's been with him for a decade now. And, of course, we worked together at KFWB and the Beast 980 in the old days. And it's great to catch up with Brian and get his thoughts on Ralph now that several days have passed since the season came to an end. And knowing Brian's enthusiasm for everything, I can hear him now. Oh my goodness! Hello, Nasty! And hello to you, Brian, and thanks for joining us here on Touching Greatness. And let's first get some of your thoughts on Ralph's career with the Clippers and just sports casting in general. You know, I mean, he has a career that 99.99999% of anybody <laughs> that gets into the business would love to have. I mean, let's be honest, 40 years with the same team, and that's just the that's the end of his career. That was the last job he ever had. Remember. He's one of the, I bet there's only a handful of people in the history of broadcast that have ever done all four major sports in the same city, which is what he did in Philadelphia with yep. the Sixers, the Flyers, the Phillies, and the Eagles. Uh, he would do Charger football. He would do, you know, NASCAR stuff. I mean, his, his resume is as good as it gets. And that's before he got to the Clippers where he became <laughs> a Hall of Famer. So uh, how do I feel about his career? I'm very jealous is a, is a good word that I would use. Um, but I was a lucky one. I got to, you know, spend a lot of time with Ralph, not just on the road, but we'd go 
out to dinner and he was very welcoming and uh, I became more important. He became part of our family. My boys actually call him uncle bingo. And uh, <laughs> we went out to dinner. Yeah, I know. It's great. I, I had a really lucky front row seat for it all. And um, you know, one thing about Ralph that doesn't get enough attention is his dedication to perfection. Like he even, you know, at 75 years old, which is he's at now 81, but six years ago, this is a guy that was critiquing tapes and making sure that the you know, the TV show was where he wanted it to be and, you know, making sure everybody knew what they were doing well, what they needed to improve upon. So he was always looking to get better. And if there was one guy in the league that could have showed up and just been himself and it would have been a great show and people would still want to know what he was thinking, it was Ralph. But he was always preparing. He was always doing something to get ready for the broadcast. And, it was a great lesson to learn. Not that I needed that. I enjoy the prep process, I think, as much as Ralph does. But it's great to see you can still have that fire well, well into your career. You know, I watched you guys in that final broadcast and telecast. Just the fact that uh, the camaraderie that you have. And, and you mentioned a little something about it. I'd like to get a little more in-depth with you what Ralph meant to you and your career since you came to L.A. You know, I I mentioned how we kind of became family, and I, I did mention the story on that uh, last segment with Ralph, where I was at the Minnesota Timberwolves and doing that organization for four or five years, was a full-time radio announcer, and, uh, close to my family, which was in Des Moines. My wife was in Des Moines, and my wife was from Des Moines as well. We're trying to start our own family. But when the Clippers called in 2007 and said, would you be interested in the job, you know, obviously you have to listen. So I flew out, and they asked me what made me the most interested in the job. And it wasn't market size. It wasn't money. It was really the opportunity to work with Ralph, somebody at that point in time that had been there for you know, almost 30 years. And to be able to kind of pick his brain on longevity, pick his brain on how to handle the bad times, because I think that's what his great calling card is, and no one else will ever go through what he went through and have the success that he did. So it meant a lot to me to come out here, pick his brain, and learn a lot. And ultimately, though, when it's all said and done, if you're keeping score, you know, I certainly had a lot of uh, broadcasting advice throughout my time there, but I learned more about life with Ralph and Joe. Can't forget Joe, who's one of my favorite people yep. in the world, his wonderful wife. And, and you know, little little things like is it the right time to buy a house. You know, he used to be a real estate agent. You know, I remember calling somebody that was terminally ill, and I would never talk to them again. And I asked Ralph. What was that like? Have you ever done that? How do you approach it? How do you end the conversation? Hmm. You know, I went to him with a lot of different questions. And, and again, some of them were about broadcasting. Most of them were about life. So, I mean, my relationship with Ralph is one that I will cherish. It's not a career highlight. It was a life highlight for sure. As much as you love the game of basketball, you had to love being around this guy who was uh, walking encyclopedia and just went back to so many eras that it's just like incredible. You just wanted to say, hey, what about this guy or what about that time, huh? If, the best part about it is he had seen it all. Like he had really, he has seen, I think, every player at the least finest like George Mikens. And even then, I, I could be mistaken in that. But in the modern day, and let's go modern day all the way to 1980, even before that, Ralph would be able to answer with a credible response. But I would always say, is this the best player you've ever seen? Who's the best player? Who's the best team? What's the best arena? What was the best coaching move you saw? And he could say, you know, with uh, great credibility, this was the best team. And, you know, I, I appreciate Ralph in this way on, on many ways, but he wasn't one of these guys where it was always better in his day. You know what I mean? Like, I even asked him before – 
you know, the Golden State series that we just concluded last week, you know, is this the best team you've ever seen? And instead of going back to the 60s Celtics or the Bulls in the 90s or the Lakers in the 80s, he said, yes, this is the best team I've ever seen. This is the best player. He's the guy that thinks LeBron James is the best to ever play the game. So he had modern-day thoughts, which I really appreciate. I think you get a lot of guys in, you know, that were born in the, in the 40s and 50s, and that's where they're stuck. That's where their mind is. And Phil Russell is the greatest player that ever played. And you can make an argument, and I'm certainly going to listen, but I appreciated that Ralph always had a modern-day take on the game. Yeah, absolutely. Is it time we can call Brian Seaman the longtime voice of the Clippers? When does it become uh, eligible there? I don't know, but it's crazy how fast time flies. You know, I've been here for over a decade. My wow. wife and I came here. We were essentially newlyweds, married less than two years, and, and now I have a son that's going to be 11 and another one that's going to be nine here in a couple months. Um, and it's all happened here in Los Angeles. I don't know. I would love to be a long, long-time boy for the Clippers. <laughs> I would love to follow in Ralph's footsteps. Just unfortunately, they don't leave that decision up to me, so we'll find out. Exactly. Yeah, I spoke with Ralph a few times over the last several months, Brian, and it's obvious that uh, his most important personal challenge is filling the void of something that he's done forever, a huge passion. Did you ever have any suggestions for him, or did you discuss this with him at all? You know, it's really interesting. I, I, he had said he wanted to write a book this is a couple of years ago, but the one thing that was really important to him was, number one, not for it to be boring for obvious reasons, <laughs> but number two, he didn't want to burn bridges. And I think a lot of the great stories that he has to probably put people in kind of a, a negative light, especially you go back a few decades, right, with the way the Clippers were run in the 80s and most of the 90s and, and, and much of the 2000s as well. But this season was interesting because I knew it was his last. I know he's a sentimental guy, and, and so am I. And so I didn't ask, I didn't say anything about, hey, this is the last time you're going to be in this arena. Hey, this is the last time you're going to see this player play. I didn't want to be reminding him that this was it. Sure. And so I never brought up, what are you going to do? I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to tell him what I think he should be doing. But I know he's got a big void to fill. But he's an active guy, and that's the beauty of it. You know, I, I remember planning for retirement about five years ago. And they were mapping out what your age is. And once you retire, allegedly, at 65, those are your go-go years. And then when you get into your 80s, they're kind of your no-go years where you kind of have to figure out what you're going to do. Ralph is 82 going on 42. That is a guarantee. And uh, his wonderful wife will be there with him the whole way. But what, this is the best lesson I learned from Ralph is that you live life. Live yeah. it. Like, do it. Don't just sit around and, and be happy like Prepare hard for the game. Work hard. But when that game is over and that buzzer sounds, you're free to do something else. And he and Ralph, he and Joe, I swear, they would go out and shut barn down. When we were in New York City, they walk <laughs> across the street from Madison Square Garden and they wonder why they're closing down at 2.30. He lived life. And that's the most important lesson that I learned from Ralph. That's beautiful. And I, I mentioned to him, I've been spending the last year and a half working on my book, Touching Greatness. And, and I said, it's a lot of work, Ralph, but I think you got some time now, so go for it. This has been a while back, so who knows, right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm guessing he had a couple of different ideas. And if, you know, I guess the problem is going to be, again, he, he doesn't want to make anybody look bad. But he can have a book somewhere. Maybe it doesn't even have to be a, a biography. He can exactly. have a fictional tale. He can have a fictional tale and, and base it off of what's happened here with the Clippers and the way they've turned their story around, and he could mirror it to something else. I don't know. He, I'll tell you this. He, he's a smart guy, um, and he has got all of his faculties. He is, he, I mentioned he's, he's, 80, he's 81. I think he said he's 81. He is not. He's 81 years old. 
and he's as sharp as a tack. So I'm not concerned about him. His parents look the long age. His, his sister is 10 years older than he is, still going strong. So he could put something together, I think, that would be pretty interesting to read. Absolutely. I, I would read I'd be the first guy in line to buy the book. But I'll tell you yeah. what, the team itself, we've talked a lot about Ralph, but I can't let you go without discussing this. Something about this year uh, as enthusiastic as Brian Seaman can be about the game and his team. You went over the top this year on the air in a good way and in a, in a way that you felt really passionate about. Uh, the effort was unbelievable. Obviously, an undermanned Clippers team. Uh, how impressive was that? It was awesome, and, and my, my energy, my emotion is always sincere. And so I looked at the schedule, and I thought, you know, early on, the first 10 games, the country took one and nine. I really felt like, oh, boy, this could be a tough start. I even tweeted out, I think, opening night, said, hey, patience is required, <laughs> tough schedule up front, but in the back end, they'll make it up. And boy, what did I know? At one point in time, I think the Clippers were leading the West at the, in the middle part of November. This was my favorite season by a mile. There's not a close second. This was just such a joy to be around those guys. And, you know, the job that Doc Rivers did, reminding everybody that he is not a good coach. He's a great coach. And what he did this year, even last year, pressed every button appropriately and knew what he could do. And the fact that he developed rookies, this was a team that on February 9th made a huge trade, trading Tobias Harris, beloved by everyone. And they started three players, 22 years or younger, and they're in the middle of a playoff race, and they ascend out west with three players 22 years or younger, including a 19-year-old point guard named Shea Gilgis-Alexander. This yep. is my favorite season, and it sets the stage for something that I think is going to be truly special, uh, not just this summer, but this is lasting. Like when Dot came in here in 2013, the books were full. Like financially, they were maxed out with Blake, Chris, and DeAndre. They couldn't go anywhere. This is a different story now, and they're going to build a platform that they're going to leap off of for several years. That's a promise, not a prediction. This is something that's going to be very special going forward for the Clippers. You know, the hardcore Clipper fans probably thinking, you're insane, Brian Seaman. How could this be your favorite team ever? You had all those wonderful dunk seasons with Blake and, all, you know, the, the, the fun times, and uh, how could this be your best? Explain that. So it's always fun to be optimistic and look forward down the road. My second favorite season is going to blow their minds, too. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe, maybe my third favorite season. My second favorite season was the first with Chris Paul in 2011-12, that lockout-shortened season. But yeah. it was the first year with Blake when he fully played that 82-game that schedule. You had Eric Gordon, DeAndre Jordan running alongside him, and you just felt such optimism about where this team was going. And to me... I think you remember those years of being optimistic almost as much, if not more, as the years that you had success. What ended up happening after that first year with Chris, so 2012 and 13, every win was expected, every loss was monumental, and just like, can they do it? And unless you're winning at all, the season's going to end in a disappointment. When you come in with lowered expectations, and this is going to be the last year for those lowered expectations, I'll remind you that it, when you win, you feel 20 feet tall. When you lose, you're like, okay, we'll get it next year. We'll get it next week. We'll get it next tomorrow night, whatever the next game was. And with these guys this year, it was just like they expected to win 50 games. They got to 48. They expected to be in the playoffs. They expected to give Golden State a run. Yeah. They're not surprised at all having won two games. And when you have that kind of attitude, and let's be honest, I mean, with Chris Lake and DeAndre, I loved them. The fans with the Clippers loved them, but they were not a likable team outside of here. Everyone loved this brand of Clipper basketball. They played hard every night. They had nobody that was an all-star. 
and yet everyone was over delivering and i just i just loved it it was my favorite season by a million miles and uh i'm hoping it's replaced next year as it goes late into june is my hope you know, the one thing I love about your play-by-play and how you come across is your passion. I keep using that word. It's so important to me in all faces of life. But but this is one time that in basketball itself, you love this game as much as anybody I know. And you go from Lob City to Sob City so fast. You know, I mean, uh, and the expectations then were, you know what, maybe next year we can be what the Golden State Warriors became. And then it all fell apart. It's really hard to start all over again. And that's exactly what this franchise has done. It, it started all over. Last year was the first year of the rebuild, and they yep. traded Chris after he asked for it. They traded Blake in the season, and I actually agreed with all of the above, and they were able to get pieces that set the stage going forward. And, you know, last year was still a fun year because they were competitive until the very last weekend. They had a chance to control their own destiny heading into the final weekend last year, despite missing almost 300 games to injury, despite trading Blake and, you know, Chris Paul not being there. I mean, it was the best way to rebuild. Now, they had luxuries that other teams can't afford, and it starts with Steve Ballmer, and it follows by having an impeccable front office, and then, of course, the wonderful city of L.A., which will benefit them, I think, when they have free agent pitches. But this team is going to make one of the quickest turnarounds you'll ever see a team make. It's the most clean version of a rebuild you'll ever see. Yeah, it is. And again... It'll be it'll be many years to come that they'll enjoy what's happened of this hard work over the last two years by that front office. You know, I don't know what you're able to say. I don't know what the rules are anymore, but everybody's almost said it's almost a lock. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's coming to the Clippers. It's a done deal. Can you talk about that at all? <laughs> Not allowed to mention player names, but I will say this. Let's. There's probably four. Okay, or five well, let's just say players. this guy's name sounds like an island, uh, uh, one of the islands in, in uh, Hawaii. <laughs> I'll make a broad brushstroke with this. If I'm a free agent and I'm a max kind of player and I really want to win and I want to be in a place that's got a great culture that knows, I know for a fact that they've got a long-term plan, there is a 0% chance at worst the Clippers aren't my number two pick. Like, you know what I mean? They're going to land a free agent. They're probably going to land maybe two. Who knows how creative that front office can be. Maybe more. I, I don't know how the financials would work with everything. I just know this. The Clippers are set for success. Let's go on the other side. Let's pretend that maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe they don't land that big-time name. Which I'd be surprised if that happened. But let's just say for sure. fun that it, you've got a team that only got better. They're better today than they were a month ago. You've got a young player. I'll mention all the young players. Yep. You still have cap space to go sign somebody else to help this team you know, and be more of a deeper team than maybe a top-heavy team for the time being. But I'll be very blunt. I will be positively shocked if the Clippers don't land a big name and more. But they have the tools and resources to get and go out and get somebody if it doesn't happen. I could not be more convinced of success for this team going forward. And I don't mean playoffs. I don't mean second round. I don't even mean even getting the NBA Finals. This is a team that's going to win titles over the next five to ten years, and it's going to be a lot of fun to be a part of it. And by the way, you use the word shock. Uh, I've been around here long enough, as you know. The Clippers are now thought of in a more positive way than the Lakers, which, in my mind, I'm in a parallel universe. I mean, look, there's a lot of work to be done for the Clippers to start talking about being in the same boat as the Lakers, as far as the brand. And I know you know that as well as anybody. So I'm not going to say that the Clippers are the better franchise in terms of what they've done over the last 50 years. But if you want to do a starting point of right now, 
I'm I'm willing to take some bets there to see who gets the next 16 banners or who just gets, even gets the next one. What the Lakers or what the Clippers have done have done is it, just remarkable. Uh, the Lakers were able to sign the game's best player, maybe the best player since Michael Jordan. Good for them. My hope is this, Ted. I'll be I'm honest with you. I want both teams to be great. I think that makes this city even better. I think it makes the league even better. Definitely. I'm not rooting for the Lakers. I'm just saying I would love for these two teams to be kind of heavyweights. The Clippers have been the delinquent in that for much of this time, right? Maybe now things can even out. They've got LeBron. We'll see who we can land in the summer. One at a time. You're only 16 banners behind. I mean, that's, the, that, you know, <laughs> just a snap of the fingers. Maybe Nobody, from Thanos, maybe that's what would happen. <laughs> Nobody said it was easy. Uh, quick thought on uh, any projections for the rest of the playoffs. You know, it'll be interesting to see who beats Golden State. You know, now that they're up, as we do this uh, show right now, uh, they're about to play game three against the Rockets. Um, I thought the Rockets' best chance to win a game in the series was that game one. Both teams were flopping. Yep. Uh, interesting to see the Celtics go down two games to one. Uh, and now that there's some injuries with the Toronto Raptors, that can make things very difficult for them. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, I do believe it's Golden State's to lose, but let's be real. I mean, and by the way, I didn't mention Portland. What a, what a story they are. Absolutely. Uh, again, as we four overtimes last night, uh, I thought that maybe they could get swept in the first round, and I wasn't rooting against them. I think they're terrific fan base. Damian Lillard is a stud. Uh, and for them to do what they're doing, i got to be honest, I'm nothing but happy for the great fans in Portland. And maybe they can pull a rabbit out of a hat or two in the next round. Who knows? But I still believe it's Golden State to lose. When they play as hard as they can, I just, I really believe they're impossible to beat. Brian, you know it's been uh, over three years now since we last worked together at KFWB in the Beast 980. I'm so I'm so sad about that. Those are some of the best times of our, of our careers, I feel. How, how have you gone on without some of us? I need to know that. I, I mean, it's with therapy, uh, you know, heavy, heavy dose of therapy. You know, I talked to Steve Ballmer uh, during that process when we were being sold, and I said, Steve, you're crazy if you don't buy this radio station. It was pocket change to him. You know, he could have he literally had it in his wallet, I think, at the time. And uh, he just said, you know, that's not my business. And right now, you guys, they flipped that station. Uh, you, I assume you're aware that it went from Indian music to all Spanish, he could have bought it for the same as going to a hamburger stand. and uh, But he didn't do it. That would have been great to have an all-Clippers station. It, it would have been nice, for sure, uh, any time you can get extra publicity. But I will say this. I've had dialogue with Steve before, and I give him credit. Like, if he doesn't know something, he's not going to try to be an expert. Yeah. Um, I wish, uh, you know what I mean? Like I give him credit for that. He's not, he, he is the smartest person in the room pretty much every day of his life. But if he doesn't know something, I think he knows that he doesn't know it. And he's not going to try to do something out of, you know, out of his comfort zone. So sure. I appreciate that, but I hear you. I feel you. We missed the beast for sure. <laughs> well, I miss being around Brian Seaman. I really enjoyed our times together, Brian. It's nice to have you on my podcast, touching greatness. And I got one more thing to say. Oh me. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And thanks for uh, part of the tribute to Ralph. Anytime, Ted. Give me a call anytime you want, buddy. That's Clippers voice Brian Seaman, who will be around for many years to come. But it's going to be strange next season when they throw the round ball up and there'll be no Ralph Lawler to call Clippers games. But whatever he chooses to do the rest of his life, we wish him well. I hope you enjoyed my special Touching Greatness tribute to Ralph Lawler, the longtime voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, 
And after listening to all his buddies talk about him, you just know he's going to have a fantastic retirement. Until next time, I am still Ted Sobel. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. And I hear Ralph saying now, it's Lawler's Law. Ted, you are done. Bingo! You can't beat that, folks. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.